0: So if I was to ask you, what what are the two or three elements that you associate with this holiday that we call Thanksgiving? What would you say? Food was certainly all right. Family, okay. Elements of the Thanksgiving holiday. I almost feel like when I put when I start with a question like this, it's like family feud. You know? except that I didn't I didn't pull the audience ahead of time it's like reverse family feud because I already know what I think the answers ought to be and I want to see if you agree so how many think about this one family, definitely family alright, how about that Huh? how many are on board with that I am not the least bit on board with that but I know it happens how about this how many are on board with that one can you even read that shopping I I see one hand there's one hand in this room for sh- there's a few more uh huh okay all right how about this yeah. definitely definitely i love turkey i mean i love cooked turkey how about this one no. easy cheetah <laughs> Listen, I don't ever want to minimize the traditions that some people have at holiday because we all have them, right? We all have traditions in our families and I got to tell you, sometimes I just don't understand some of them, okay? And today I want to start by talking about two things that I don't understand at Thanksgiving. Shopping and football, okay? Now, it's amazing to me that we pause on Thursday or around Thursday and we give thanks for all the stuff that we have and then Friday we are trampling people to get into the store to get something we think we need I I don't get that and uh, I finished up doing the slides early this morning and had a little bit of time and I just clicked onto Facebook and there was a video. And boy, if I knew how to get that thing off of video, off of Facebook, it would have fit perfectly here. It was a scene like I couldn't imagine. These people opened the door and humanity was just coming. They were trampling each other. And after that was over, this is, I swear this is true, there were people fighting. I mean, swinging I mean, this would have been unsportsmanlike conduct out of the game if it was a football game, but it was a store. It was a retail store. I, I just don't get that. You know, I, I don't get. I don't get the whole idea of staying up all night to shop. It's late. It's cold. It's crowded. Who wants to do that? There are enough loony people who shop during normal hours. I don't want to be anywhere near where I might run into them when they're sleep deprived. Our our friend Laura has a family tradition. They do the Black Friday thing. She sent me a text. She says, well, we're done. We've been going solid for 20 hours. Yeah, That's what I said. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it then how about football? You know, we sit around the television and we scream and yell and pout and shriek and all of this stuff that, about a game that we are watching. We're watching. Do you talk to drivers when you're driving? It makes about as much sense to do that as it does to yell at your television. Your television doesn't care that the refs are blind. Your television doesn't care. And, and now, because we have all this wonderful technology, the whole flow of the game is continually being interrupted because they want to make sure that the refs are doing the right thing, that they got the right call. And that's a whole, a whole nother thing. I have a hard time. I mean, I love football. I, I, I love sports. I, I have a hard time getting worked up so much about a game that I become loudly hateful toward the other team. I'm good with certain slogans. Anybody but New England? Anybody but Dallas? Those are a couple of the ones I'm okay with. All right? And I have some pretty strong opinions about certain players that I think would rather hurt their opponent than play fairly. Vontae Perfect and company. Okay? Uh, But. I, I I just can't get. I was I flipped on the TV. Sharon was away for much of the weekend visiting her sister, who's not well. You, we need to be praying for Christine. She's um, she's having a hard time bouncing back from this surgery, and and it's a it's a challenge for her and for us as her family to try to support her and know what to do. And they're taking her back to Buffalo on Monday, and we're hopeful that the doctor will be able to to look at the situation and, and make a, an assessment that will allow for some treatment that will be a, more effectual than what she's been going through has been. But so, I was home alone a lot I, I, and I turned the TV on and I w- was watching the Mississippi's, Mississippi State game. I, I know nobody in the state of Mississippi. I don't... Anything like that. But they interviewed people because these two teams and their supporters quite literally hate each other. It's sad. It is absolutely sad. When the players came on the field to warm up, there were shoving. I mean, the refs had, to, people had to separate them. They were in the warm up, for goodness sake. And then they interviewed fans. Oh, I just don't like them. They... It's them cowbells. I hate them cowbells. You know? What does that matter? What does that matter? But people are into it, and they're into it big. And I, I just don't, I don't, I'm not there. I'm not there. If you want to be that way, I guess that's that's true. And the reason I'm not there is because that at the heart of all of these things, whether it's shopping or football, there's one thing that's true about me. I'm a spectator. I'm a spectator. I'm not going out there and I'm content to be a spectator. You can go out there if you want. Don't expect me to join you. And don't expect me to endorse your behavior. I am not going shopping in the middle of the night. That's that simple. I will quietly cheer for the teams that I that I support but I will not climb aboard the hate bandwagon or wish for the personal injury of anybody that's on the field. I'm a spectator and if I'm not careful being a spectator is comfortable. You get a great view, right? You get all the camera angles. You're in a comfortable seat. You're not freezing. Nobody is spilling beer on you or dumping popcorn down. I mean, you're just in a... It's a better place. And you're—you're. You're, lots of times you're with friends. So it's fun to kind of hang out like that together. But if I'm not careful, I'll end up being a spectator in life. And sitting back and watching it. And uh, and that's something I don't think that I'm called to do. And it's something I don't think you're called to do. So let's take a second right now and pray before we go on, okay? Father, I just pray that um, that you'll open our minds uh, to take an honest assessment this morning of where we are in our life and, and how, how we are experiencing this adventure I pray that uh, that your words would be the ones that are spoken here that this would not be about me in any way but that your Holy Spirit would reach in through what is said and through the words that are recorded in the pages of your book to challenge us and change us so that Christ might be exalted in his name I ask these things, amen if I decide to sit on the sidelines and just watch life go by what would that look like it would mean that I'm content right I'm not really doing anything I'm okay I, I can go through my weekly routine I can come to church on Sunday I can sit in these comfortable seats I can sing or not I can give or not I can pray or not I can listen or not I can greet people I can do what I want because I can be a spectator and that's all that's required of me. Nobody's asking me to do anything else. No one has a, has a gun to my head saying, you, we need your help. I'm just a spectator. My position affords me a view of other people's struggles and successes but I will only experience those vicariously. And I can stay here because the scripture says, does it not to be content in all things? It does say that, doesn't it? And I'm content. I'm content, I'm doing it. But life is not meant to be watched. It's meant to be experienced. And there's a difference between those two things. There's a difference between two things. Haven't we all, at one time or another, imagined ourselves making the winning play in a big sporting event if we're sports fans I mean when I was when I was a young boy my friend John and I would we didn't have a backyard where I grew up we had an alley and we would throw the baseball back and forth in the alley and it was fun And, and invariably we would you know we'd be talking about whatever was going on in our life and stuff like that but it would switch over and we would start being broadcasters You know? And I'd have the ball and I would say, it's the bottom of the ninth, two outs, two strikes, and it's a long fly ball. And then I'd peg the thing up as high as I could. And my friend John would run back like this and he would make the catch and it would be the third out and they would win the game. Haven't you done that? Haven't you watched a movie and put yourself in the role of the hero? or the heroine haven't you been swept up in your imagination ladies into the arms of some handsome man on the screen or guys in in the arms of some stunning woman right these fanciful excursions into the scenarios of our imagination are fine but they are not real they're not real And yet Jesus says to us that there is more to life than we are experiencing. There is more to life than we are experiencing. In John 10, the thief comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And have it to the full and have it overflowing. You know many people that are living that way? I think sometimes there have been times in my life when, when I feel like I've kind of splashed into that. But then I kind of slide back into what's normal. And I mean life's awesome. I prefer it. But sometimes it's just not it's just not like Go life you know you don't feel that way it's, you're, you're slogging through and you know there's mud on your boots and, and there's not as much in the checking account as you'd like it to be and, and somebody's sick and the car's making a funny sound or, or vibrating something's happening and you just don't know what's next Jesus did not say I came that people might be spectators in the adventure of life. It's certainly true that Jesus came to show us the way back to the Father, to reconnect us. It's true that he lived a life without sin. He exercised the power of heaven because he had unbroken access, unbroken access to the Father, and he and as such could clearly see could clearly see what the father was doing in the world he had a compassion for lost people that turned his heart to intercede for those who needed the father's healing restoring their health and their relationship to the creator he lived a perfect life the perfect life that we were all meant to live and he chose to give up that life to pay the price for the consequences of our sins and the sin of every man by dying a brutal death. But for those who understood that his sacrifice reunited them with God, with the God who loved them, they were recipients of the gift of eternal life. And he did not say to them, stay on the sidelines, play it safe, be content. He said, get in the game. He called the disciples to action. And he calls us to action. And that's the subject for this last message in our series, Step by Step. Getting in the game means that we are in it to win it. I mean nobody plays without wanting to win, right? Nobody plays without wanting to win. So let's be in it to win it. Today so we're gonna look into God's word today and discover what does it mean to get into the game? Now it means a lot of different things, but there's some there's one particularly, I think, pretty concise explanation of what it means for us and we're going to look at that this morning so if you have your bibles and want to open to the book of colossians in chapter three we're going to be there i put two translations of the first part of the first verse up here since then you have been raised with christ from the new international and if then you have been raised with christ from the english standard version paul opens this chapter reminding us of a truth. And that truth is, we've been raised with Christ. Now, I put them both up here because the opening phrase might seem a little different to you depending on which version you're reading. And you might even have a different version. But look at what it says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. If then, you have been raised with Christ. It implies that we we needed to be raised and what was Christ raised from he was raised from death wasn't he he was raised from death to life so if we're raised with him that implies that we understand that the death of Jesus f- was for our sin and that the resurrection of Jesus is for ours as well then he gets us off, then Paul gets us off the benching and gets us ready to get in the game before I go on, I've got to tell you about something that I read um, that I found a little bit disturbing. There was a council of theologians in Boston and they've con- constructed something called the Boston Declaration. I wish I knew more about this to tell you, but I'm going to tell you this. In this declaration, they, they and a bunch of them took a picture of themselves with ashes on their face and sackcloth over their head. Saying that the church needs to repent That we need to to do a better job uh, Against racism and abuse And and a number of other things And as they were As I was reading about this Because you know I mean let's face it The whole racism thing is is pretty tough It's pretty tough for us And, And none of us are for it I would think I think we're all like you know let's we're all here like someone once said to me can't we just get along but unfortunately that's not the way it is and abuse I mean if abuse wasn't a problem we wouldn't be talking about it people wouldn't be upset about it you wouldn't have people coming forward after 15 or 20 or 30 years and saying well you did this to me and you did that to me and what's even stupider, people saying, well, gee, I think you need to pay for that after 20 or 30 years, when you were 20 or 30 years younger and stupider than you are now. You know, we, we, can't, we can't, life doesn't afford us that opportunity. But in this Boston Declaration, they're saying things that are partially right. And nowhere in it do they say that Jesus is the way. They acknowledge Him as a prophet and acknowledge His teachings and they point us to good things and, and, and a good track toward, much, toward many parts of, of situations that we would find under the umbrella of social justice. But you know what? They're affirming stuff that's just flat out wrong. They're trying to affirm people's choices when their choices are wrong. Not just stupid, but wrong. The Delaware Department of Education just adopted guidelines that will allow students to self-identify their gender. Okay? That's troubling enough for me. But get ready for this one. And their race. I mean, they're letting people decide if they're male or female, if they're white, black, yellow, green, purple, whatever. I mean, I don't understand where this is all going. I don't understand it. But I know this. God loves every single one of them. Regardless of the stupid choices that they make, regardless of the points of view that they have that make no sense to me, And maybe to many other people. And that our responsibility is to love them too. Not to affirm what they're doing. Not to affirm their position. But to love them. Because that person, regardless of what they think about themselves, is made in the image of God. In the image of God. Sorry, I'm off the track. Okay, let's go on with the scripture. Seek the things... That are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's the ESV version. ENIV is up there as well. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We're instructed to seek what is above as we set our hearts and minds the word that is translated seek is the word zeteia it's a greek word that means to seek by thinking meditating and reasoning it's a deliberate act it's a deliberate act by which we direct our own thoughts it's similar to the word paul uses in the next verse which is uh, franea, which is where it says, set your minds on things above. That means to direct one's mind to a thing, to exercise the mind, to be mentally disposed, more or less earnestly, in a certain direction. Both of these verses say to us that we have some control over what we think about. We have some control about it. We can see things any way we want to. And if you have a choice to see things any way you want to, why wouldn't you want to see them the way God sees them? Why wouldn't you? Because He's God. He's right. He knows us. He understands us. Paul makes it clear that we choose to engage our minds in a particular direction, electing thoughts that are more characterized by heavenly things than those on earth. Now the next instruction in this letter is to discard thoughts that belong to our earthly nature. And this instruction by Paul is a particularly strong one. There's the word zeteo and there's the word franeo, and we already talked about them. Colossians 3, 5 and 6. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, why is it what what about this is so strong? Well, Paul uses the word necrao uh, twice, even though it's not translated so that we see the same word showing up twice. In The actual Greek, it says, consider at the beginning. And the word consider, it was the word nekrao. And later on, put to death is nekrao. And it's the same word. It's got the same strongs, whatever number those things are all about. And it means the same thing. It means deprive of power by making something dead the fact that Paul uses that word twice emphasizes the importance of putting away these things not letting them well up deciding that they're not going to have the influence in your thoughts that they might have had at one time and Paul immediately tells us why this is important by showing us the consequence of not doing it because of these things Because of sexual immorality, because of impurity, because of lust, because of evil desires, because of greed, which is idolatry, the wrath of God is coming. If we persist in allowing these thought patterns space, we are inviting God not only to withhold His blessing, but to pour out His anger and to pour it out on us. Now, now grace covers our sin. We know that. There's nothing that we've done to deserve being reconciled to God. He did it all for us and offered it to us. That's grace. It covers our sin and makes us free from the eternal consequence of being separated from God. But our choice to ignore these things allows the enemy to have a perch in our life. And it's from such an area of influence that strongholds are built. And we, we learned about that when Rob was here a few weeks ago. You can be a believer. You can you can be, you know, I mean, you and Jesus can be connected. But there, there still can be room in your life for junk. Still can be room in your life. And that's why sometimes we have a hard time How do do I get past this? How do I stop thinking this? How do I stop feeling this way? God, why aren't you helping me? Have any of you asked those questions ever? I have. I have. It's our decision, our decision, sorry, therefore our decision to consciously seek the Holy Spirit's power to remove these things is essential. As Paul reminds us, these root thought patterns are universal. They're universal to us in our fallen and unforgiven state before we come to Jesus. Here's what he says, look at this. In the 7th, "You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived." Now that word "you" is not the plural you. So when I say that and I read that or if Paul was saying that he isn't talking about the collective you he is pointing his index finger right at you me you mean you mean me we ask yes you the spirit says do not think that any of us have simply arrived at the place where such thinking has been brought under control by our own will we may have somehow in our upbringing learned that these things that we listed before are bad or wrong but we're really powerless to do anything about them on our own they are the bent that we all have from the fall they represent our desire to control our own destiny and have what we want. How we want it. And whenever we want it. And the expression of such thought shows itself in our actions. People are not deciding if they're male or female because of anything except that they want to be in control of them their life. And they're not going to have anybody telling them Even the irrefutable biological evidence. They're going to decide. They're going to decide. But now you must also rid yourself of such things as these. Anger. Rage. Malice. Slander. Filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices... And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and is in all. Did you notice what Paul said here? that even as those negative characteristics that he listed are universal so is the offer of grace so is the offer of grace it's not a gift restricted to only those who qualify because they are Jews because they are his chosen people Paul stresses that God's grace is for everyone and if so his power To effectively wipe our common patterns of sinful behavior and thought is also available to all who make the decision to receive it. Now, up till now, in this passage, all of Paul's instruction has been toward our thoughts. Toward our thought life. Set your mind on what's above, not on the earthly things, Take the stuff that's bad and and put it aside and get rid of it and get rid of the stuff that comes out of it. Those are all thought-centered directions. You know that nobody is capable of knowing what someone else is thinking all the time. We think we know, though, right? And we base our actions and words on the conclusions that we have about that. Have have any of you ever told someone else what they were thinking? Has that ever happened in your house? Husbands? Wives? How does that feel? I, I can tell you this. When somebody tells me what I'm thinking, I can get pretty jacked up in a hurry. Especially if they're wrong. Especially if they think they're right, but they're not right. Because they're acting as if what they think they know gives them license to act the way they're acting. Does that make sense to you? That was almost one of those. I know that you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard was not what I meant. (laughs) It's almost one of those things. I think I really think this is why God gives us dogs. How many of you have a dog? look how many hands are up a popular pet we have fish you don't have to walk fish you don't have to clean up after fish fish don't chew up your furniture they don't bark when people come by they're they're probably not going to bite anybody unless you have piranhas how many of you interpret on a regular basis what your dog is thinking and feeling and you know what That comes easy to you because the dog is not going to argue with you. Sharon was away at Thanksgiving. I went to a friend's house. There were four dogs there. Four dogs there. It was ridiculous. I mean, I, I like dogs. Oh, she's so sad because someone's chewing her toy to help me. How do you know the dog's sad? Did it give you a report? You have like a little readout thing here I'm sad Remember the movie with where the animals talked What was it called Homeward Bound Why was that such a popular movie Because the personification Of animals that we regularly do We didn't have to do in that movie We knew right what Chance was thinking And right what the Cat was thinking And Was there a cat Two dogs and a cat we knew that. So I, that's why we have dogs. So that we can think what... So we can have our... I know what you're thinking. Apply to them. And, and that should be our fix for that. We shouldn't be doing it to each other though. You don't know what I'm thinking. So don't tell me what I'm thinking. Sometimes you might be right sharing. Back to the subject at hand. Paul finally moves us closer to the action of getting in the game. By giving us instruction on what things we must be sure that we do have unless the purpose of going out is to simply people watch for those of you that were shoppers unless the purpose of going out to simply people watch every Black Friday shopper has a plan has a plan there was a guy that they interviewed I I didn't hear the interview don't know much, much about this except I was told who camped out outside of Best Buy Three weeks before Black Friday, and when they interviewed him and said, "You know, what what are you doing? I mean, what do you want so bad?" He says, "He said, I don't really want anything. I just want to be the first in line. But everybody else that's going to buy stuff, they have a plan. They have a plan. When my, when our friend from Pittsburgh goes to do this, they know we're starting it here." and then we're going here, and then when we get here, we're dividing and sending some people here and some people here. I mean, it's just, it's strategic. Strategic. Every football player that played a game over this weekend gets dressed and puts equipment on designed to protect them from injury while they're in the game. There's a plan. There's something there that has to happen before you get into the game. Similarly, Paul instructs us to make preparation for the adventure of life in the most profitable and powerful way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, now remember, he was talking to everybody here, right? Jew, Gentile, everybody, male, female, slave, free, the whole deal. If if you're hearing, he's talking to you. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that means you're his chosen people holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. What's that mean in layman's terms? Get dressed. I'm pretty safe in saying everybody here got dressed this morning. Or at some point before they came here. Right? Nobody is here without clothes on. What did you put on? You put on the things you wanted to put on. You put on something that you thought carefully about or you put on whatever was closest laying on the floor. Grabbed it. And, and But the point was you clothed yourself. And what should we clothe ourselves with? Look at this list. Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. Patience. Would anybody argue that these things are not good things that more people could use? Do you know anyone who could be more patient? Do you know someone that could be more kind? Do you know someone that could, could use a dose of compassion? Do you know somebody that needs taken down a few pegs? Who would not like to be described as a person who genuinely cares about others' welfare, who exhibits kindness, who is not arrogant, who can speak and act in certain situations in a way that promotes healing instead of hurting. And who remains calm under stress? The words here are some of the same words we read in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where we read about the fruit of the Spirit and Paul describes it. That word's in that list and it's exactly the same Greek word. And so is this one. And so is that one. Kindness, gentleness, patience. They're all in that list of nine descriptors that Paul puts out before us in Galatians that says these should be the characteristic of your life if your life is filled with and controlled by God's Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control i might have left one out but they're there galatians chapter 5, 22 and twenty three so we have to take control of the thoughts intentionally seeking what's above the life that we live on earth we have intentionally refused to be swept away in unwholesomeness and selfish thought patterns and have set aside our natural tendencies to express ourselves by putting others down And speaking untruths that harm reputations and bring hurt to people. We intentionally clothe ourselves in qualities that reflect our new creation and the Son of God Himself. And now that we're dressed and now that we're ready, we can take the field. We're ready to begin engaging. Engaging in life in a way that's different From how we would have lived before Christ, we're ready to get in the game, and Paul tells us what that looks like when he writes this: "Bear with each other." That's the first thing. Get in the game means that you're going to have to put up with other people. Life is a a, a great church is a great place. Would you agree? It would be a whole lot better if it just weren't people in it, because we're a mess. People are a mess. I'm a mess. You're a mess. I don't know what to, I don't know how to always say the right thing. I don't know how to to know when to go and ask if you need help. I don't know how to ask for help. We're a mess. And that's why Paul says bear with each other. Put up with one another. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you there are people in churches who won't do stuff in churches because they don't like the person that's doing it with them does that make sense? conceptually it makes perfect sense but in reality we know it's true we know it's true all you have to do is think back to the time when you were in school and you were in gym class and you were divided up into teams. While you were standing there waiting to get picked, weren't you saying, oh my gosh, I don't want to be on that team if they're on it. Anybody ever have that thought? You bet. I don't want to be on that team if that guy's going to be on it. Oh, I got picked on that thing. You know, I mean, so so what do you do? Well, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be on this committee. I'm not going to get involved because that person's, that person's involved with it or because this is an area that they're happy about or that they're excited about. And I, ju- I just don't care for them that well. You know what? You don't even know them that well. How dare you have that kind of opinion? You say, well, I, I heard that they did this. And and maybe maybe they did do it. But that's not a reason for you to pass judgment about something. Everybody here who's perfect, stand up. Look, no one's standing. We're all imperfect. We're all goofed up. But God is calling us. He's saying to us, get in the game. Put up with each other. Whatever the disagreement is, You're supposed to be working toward reconciliation, right? Right. You're supposed to be forgiving, right? Right. And if we do those things, just those two things, do you think people will notice? They might. Because we are surrounded by people that won't put up with other people and won't forgive them. They won't put up with other people and they won't forgive them. And you can draw that line any way you want to. You can make it Mississippi, Mississippi State. You can make it Republican and Democrat. You can make it anything. Our natural tendency, particularly now, particularly in 2017, we draw lines and we are not crossing over. You want to be over there? Fine, I'm staying over here. Bear with one another? I don't even want to be in the same room with you, man. And what happens then? We're no different than anybody else. Nobody sees anything different about us. Nobody knows anything different about us. We're just people again, doing things that people do. Every time we speak poorly of someone, every time we jump to a conclusion... Every time we act out of selfishness or unforgiveness, we blur the truth that Christ is in us. Every time we demonstrate patience, forgiveness, and love, we demonstrate that being a believer has made us different from unbelievers. This is not a we are better than you attitude. It's a realization of what we have received ourselves. Look what it says. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. What does that mean? It means that you've been forgiven. And if you've been forgiven, you don't have any right to withhold forgiveness. I often told my students that there was not much chance that anyone would ever be upset with them for being too kind or too polite. How much more pleasant is it to be around people who are not burdened by carrying grudges or bearing frustrations that rob them of joy and rob, rob them of the peace that they were meant to experience if we get in the game the goal is always to win whether it's football or shopping we want to come out on top because winning feels good and these are the steps that we have to do to do that unless we take those steps unless we bear with one another unless we put on compassion and humility and forgiveness and kindness and faith unless we are forgiving each other And all that stuff We are not going to win We're going to be in the melee with everybody else And nothing's going to make us appear any different We can talk all we want About freedom and healing in life But we will not be seen as authentic Because those attributes are not evident in our life We will be like the shopper Who puts items in the shopping cart But never decides to actually buy them Have any of you ever shopped online, put stuff in your cart, but you just won't make that purchase? You just, uh, you know, I do that all the time. We just can't make that decision. We will be armchair quarterbacks whose decisions to make changes never happen because we're not in the game. So what's it going to be for you? Were you going to be patient? That's what we're supposed to do. Are you going to be forgiving? Because that's what we're supposed to do. And are you going to be loving? That's what Paul says to us. That's how you get in the game. Be patient. Be forgiving. Be loving. Because you can't be those things if you're not in there. You can't do that from a, from afar. You can't love from a distance. You can't forgive from a distance. You can't bear with each other from a distance. Choices. Spectator or participant. And every one of us has to make that decision. What are we going to do? We're on the cusp of a new chapter here, new pastor. Next week. And it's awesome that it, that, it, that day is coming. It's been a long season of waiting. But Now a new season is beginning. The the Holy Spirit is stirring things up in our hearts. There is healing taking place and deliverance that's happened and will continue to happen. Here's the truth, friends. God is calling you. And I'm not talking about the collective you. I'm talking about you. Every single last person in here. He's calling us. He's calling us. He's calling the individual within your skin. Are you listening? Is he whispering that stuff? Is he whispering that the stuff in your past can finally be set down? Is he saying that it's time for you to get up and engage with others for the kingdom? Is he calling you to get out of your comfort zone and get in the game? Maybe you've never really said yes to that because you've never really said yes to Christ. Coming to Jesus is more than just an insurance policy against the eternal torment that we call hell. It's an invitation to get in the game. Maybe you've been a spectator, but God's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, time to get off the bench. Time to get in the game. Or or maybe you've been there and done that and he's saying, you know what? There's no retirement program in the kingdom. As long as you're breathing, get back in the game. The movie Rudy's a true story of a young man whose dream is to play football at Notre Dame. He's smaller than the rest of the guys on the team and and doesn't get noticed, and the coach, Eric Parsigan shows little interest in ever putting him in. His desire, though, is so strongly communicated to the rest of the team by his attitude and work ethic that when an opportunity comes for a final substitution to be made, the players begin chanting, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. And he gets in, and he makes a play. Is the spirit of the living God calling your name? Is it time for you to forgive? Is it time for you to show love? Is it time for you to be kind, to be compassionate, or to demonstrate that the adventure called life is worth living? To demonstrate that good can overcome bad. That you, a new creation in Christ, can make a difference for someone else who is just as lost as you once were. Get off the bench. Get in the game. I don't know what the game plan is going to be. I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about, Pastor Tim coming, Because I think he's going to help us to crystallize some of the things that have been swimming around in our I wish we could do this, or I want to do that, Heads but it doesn't matter where those ideas are or where they come from what matters is we've got to get up and, and go into action and go into action so ready yourself and ask yourself those questions I want to invite the worship team to come back up <clears throat> and, and I, I just want to ask I just want to ask you this these couple of questions first of all If you've never really understood what it means to come to Christ, don't let today go by without without talking to someone about it, without making the decision that will move you from someone who's lost to someone who's found. And the second question I want to ask you is this. It's the week before Tim comes. Will you join me? Will you stand, and I'm not meaning just me. Will you join with each other and get off the bench and get in the game and say, I am in. I'm all in. And I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to help where I can help. I'm going to reach where I can reach. I'm going to, I'm going to not just come on Sunday morning and sit in the chair. I'm not going to be a spectator anymore. You know, making a commitment to that is not signing up to be at the church every time the doors unlocked. But it's in finding a place where you fit in this body and taking the gifts. And the unique abilities that God has invested in your life. And making them work. And making them work. I don't know what that's going to look like. Maybe you don't either. But if that's something that that you feel you can say yes to. I want to invite you to stand. Right now. Where you're at. And by standing. Say to each other. Say to one another. Yes, I believe in what this church stands for. I believe that we're pursuing Jesus. I believe that we're building his kingdom. And I believe that we will be examples of that which we proclaim, which is his offer of freedom and healing and life. So as we worship, if this is something that that speaks to your heart and you want to commit to I just want to invite you to stand and come to the front of the church you don't have to do anything we're not going to do any kneeling around or or anything fancy or funky just want people to see that you're in so that you can be an encouragement for them to be